The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You can not only learn from your mistakes, you can celebrate them. They define who you are and serve as a learning tool to become your most beautiful self ever. Welcome to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting with your host, Jim Stacy. Jim is the author of 11 books and is here to help you experience the power of the divine deep within yourself. It's inside you. You just have to know where and how to look for it. Now, here is Jim Stacy. And welcome again to all of my listeners here on Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. Today I am absolutely thrilled to have a guest on the show, uh, a man who has been my mentor in learning about the Aramaic and how to apply it to my life. And today, Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz is with us, and he's going to be sharing some of his adventures into the Aramaic and as one who has translated this language for us and helps understand what Yeshua or Jesus really said, I found his work and his life to be amazing. Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, I have about a thousand questions for you, but we'll have to just cover a few today. Uh, when I first met you, I met you at a conference in Ohio, and I had by accident, I call it, picked up your one of your first books, The Prayers of the Cosmos, at a house of a friend. And I picked it up and looked and I said, oh my goodness, what is this? I began to read the Aramaic Lord's Prayer. And when you said, oh birthing one, mother and father of all life everywhere, I knew that I was hearing what Yeshua said for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And, and that was life-changing for me. So tell me, I know you were raised in a Christian background, I believe, and I would like to know what changed your course? How did the Aramaic come into your awareness? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it is a bit of a long story. I'll, I'll try to keep it to the essentials. Uh, Prayers of the Cosmos, that book was originally published in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, my real journey with the Aramaic in earnest begins... Um, almost it's more than 10 to 12 years before that. Wow. Um, I, I was, as you mentioned, raised in a Christian family uh, in the U.S., in the Chicago area. Uh-huh. Uh, but in my family, we heard various languages growing up, which I think helped me when I began to study uh, foreign languages. We, uh, my mother spoke fluent German, and my grandparents spoke a bit of Russian, a bit of Polish. I, there was some Yiddish I was hearing, all I didn't know any of what any of this was at the time. So, but we, we were from a, a, a Christian family, but my father was primarily interested in holistic health, as we would now call it. Sure. And, um, and, uh, he was one of the early chiropractors in Illinois. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, yes. And 
Uh, in addition, both of my parents were interested in the early ecological movement, uh, which was focused around Rachel Carson and the organic gardening movement of Robert Rodale, if some uh-huh. of your listeners may know something about that. Sure. So this is really what I was raised with. Um, it wasn't with any sort of uh, strict or rigid religion. We mostly heard Bible stories uh, before bed, and the rest of it was, as I say, it was the three C's. It was uh, uh, Rachel Carson and chiropractic, and the third piece of it was Edgar Casey. Uh, both of my parents were interested in Edgar Casey, and I'm sure uh-huh. a number of your listeners know about Edgar Casey and how important he was yes. uh, in the development of spirituality and, and sort of psychic awareness in the U.S. Yes. Uh, uh, many of his, his channeled writings on health and healing were really a Bible for my father. Right. So I didn't have this sort of, I wasn't raised sort of with too much to rebel against, although there was, there was something <laughs> sure. uh, in that because we needed a cover story in my family, as I sometimes now call it. Uh, my father had to work in a small community in Illinois, so we were raised as uh, Protestant, Missouri Synod, Lutherans. Wow, oh, uh, I love Missouri that. Missouri Synod is sort of, <laughs> sort of conservative, evangelical on the, in the Lutheran side. Sure. And so I was raised memorizing large parts of the King James Bible in school, and memorizing all of Luther's small catechism, uh, basically, because <laughs> that's what you did in the 1950s. So when I did go to university, then I, as many people do, I, I rebelled somewhat against that and, uh, and sort of rejected all religion. As, as right. So was one of, one of your parents Hebrew-oriented? Yes. Or? As it turns out, I discovered much later, uh, there was a Jewish streak in my family, but that was covered over in order to blend in at the oh. time because my grandparents were immigrants. Okay. And it seemed to be very important for them to blend in. Oh, yes. And so they also became uh, Protestant Lutherans. Well, I find uh, that a very amazing story because once you're open to and aware of other languages and other ways of expressing ideas and concepts, that's sort of an automatic door into learning more, would you say? It is very much. I mean... <clears throat> Jim, a number of people have mentioned that, you know, the way we language things, the way we put words to our reality helps, it, it not only helps us sort of sort things out, but it, it limits or expands our worldview, how, how widely or more narrowly we see. Yeah. So the more languages one learns, even if they are Western European languages, one can see from other points of view. Right. And I've, I've always felt that's very, very important. And what I've learned in the last few years is that the Aramaic language was spoken from the borders of China all the way into Egypt. And it was in that realm that Yeshua, Jesus, uh, in, in his own native tongue of Aramaic, was able to, in his years of absence, to be disciplined in a lot of spiritual practices. Is that uh, on the right track? I think you're, I think that's a good uh, sort of summary for people of, of you know, where that the validity of that starts, really um, Aramaic as a language was the language of the ancient Assyrian Empire. Yes. But it's not really that, uh, it's not that different from uh, ancient Babylonian mm-hmm. or really that different from ancient Egyptian in some ways. Yes. Uh, not Egyptian hieroglyphs, that was a different way of writing some of right. that. But, right. um, but these are all Semitic languages, ancient Hebrew, ancient Aramaic, ancient Canaanite, all of these are in that in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to continue, bring this my story a bit up to okay. date, sure. I, I went on my spiritual path really seriously 
uh, I would say in the mid-1970s, and looked into a number of different paths, but didn't find any of them at that time broad enough to really, you know, not be restrictive, not restrict me in what I wanted to, to look into, into myself. And, and finally, I found myself, so to speak, in the lap of the Sufis, uh, uh-huh. That is the Western Sufis, sure. and they were saying, you know, things like, "Well, all religions have the truth, uh, but it's really a matter of experience." And that was a bit different than what the Theosophists were saying. They were saying all religions have the truth, and and you need to understand it with your mind. Yes. Well, I understand understood many things with my mind. What I wanted to do was understand it in my experience, in my heart. Yes. And the Sufis offered this sort of, as they call it, the path of the heart. Right. So uh, I came into that that world in the 1970s and because of my past background I had been working with words I had been working as an investigative journalist in the 1970s mm-hmm. um, what we sometimes used to call a muckraking journalist <laughs> in the 70s where I would in, I was mainly investigating the Food and Drug Administration oh, okay. uh, because of my background in health and he, you know my parents background in health and healing I knew a lot about that right. so I was I was put to work editing the diaries of sort of the root teacher of our lineage. This was Samuel Lewis, who started the Dances of Universal Peace. And in editing his diaries, I ran into this part where he says, you know, I want to start two revolutions before I die. One is to start the Dances of Universal Peace, and the other is to pray the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. Right. And he had done uh, the first, but he had never done the second. Right. Um, And so... This is what actually got me into starting to investigate, okay, what's this Aramaic about and who learned it and how, can I, how could I learn to chant the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic? Right. At that time, I wasn't really that interested in the scholarly side of things. I just wanted to be able to chant it. Uh-huh. So I went to a friend of Samuel Lewis's who was a Jewish rabbi, and he gave me um, a form, a transliterated form, that means rendered into English characters of the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. And I simply began to chant the words of it as best as I could, sort of on one note. I mean, I knew a little bit about how you would intone Semitic languages from the way the Sufis intoned Arabic. And I knew a little bit of Hebrew at the time, not very much, a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, not grammatically, I just knew how to chant them, how the sounds sounded. Uh-huh. And I began to chant it, chant it, and over a period of a couple of years, I began to have experiences with it. And on a, one particular retreat, I remember at the end of 1981... Um, I was chanting the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, again, sort of on one note, all the words, and my body began to make movements I had never felt before. Hmm. I began to have experiences I had never had before. That's just the simplest way to put it. Right. And then melodies began to come to these words, and, uh, and some movements, too, which I began to share with people. Uh, as you know, in this form called sure. dance, universal peace, a circle dance form sure. with chanting, essentially. So right. that was really the start of my journey with the Aramaic prayer, which was 1982. And then uh, when I went to I went to work with uh, Father Matthew Fox uh, at that time at his mm-hmm. early university. Right. Uh, uh, Institute in Culture and Creation and Spirituality, and Matt Fox told me, he said, Neil, you know, um, you know, if what you're, you know, I love what you're teaching with these Aramaic Lord Prayer, and really, if you want to spread this more, you need to learn more about it, properly study it, write a book about it, and then more people will know about it. And oh, yeah. I didn't really initially want to do this because it <laughs> seemed like it was going to be a lot of work. I'd have to learn the grammar and all yes. of this and that. And but it, long, to make a long story short, I did do that at least well enough to write this book, Prayers of the Cosmos, which I still think is a good book. 
Um, yes, it is. And and then you know, and Matt helped me get it published. This was Matt Fox. So that that sort of started me out on this road. But that was essentially what I thought was going to be the end of the whole story. Uh, <laughs> but it all just began from there. Uh, the end many times is a new beginning. It is in that fan. I thought it was going to be a small sort of thing that I was doing on the side. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it turned out well, not to be that. Well, I remember very clearly when I took my first intensive in the doctoral studies, that first intensive was with you. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the most life-changing things that you said to me at that, uh, in that intensive was when you talked about everyone being welcome at the table of the divine. Yes. And I ask you a question. Do you mean we're even welcome with our shadow parts as well as the other? And you absolutely said, yes, definitely, we are welcome. Especially and, with the shadow parts. <laughs> yes, and that, that word especially is in your books. And I, yes. And so I have done a lot of work with the human shadow since that time. Mm, and mm-hmm. even have archive shows from this, uh, this show uh, on doing our shadow work and owning our mistakes and dancing in the delights of our imperfections. But I just want everyone to know that this man you're listening to, Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, was the beginning of my understanding that I am welcome at the table of the divine, and that changed my whole life. So, Neil, thanks, Jim. We got to take a break in just a few minutes, but one more just thought or two. Mm-hmm. When you talked about the experience, not in the head, but in the heart. That is so incredibly important. Say just another thought or two about that. Well, you know, what I really discovered was that it wasn't just about translation and that we had been suffering with these limited translations of Jesus' words. When you look through the Aramaic, Jesus is presenting a whole way of what we might call prayer, contemplation, spiritual practice, contemplative prayer, whatever you want to call it. It, it, is, it is a way... Th- that we can do, as, as he says in the Gospel of John, we can do what he has done, and it's greater, perhaps greater. I don't know. It would be different anyway. Yeah. So, Right. Yep. Okay. Well, right now, we have to take time for a break, and we'll see everybody just on the other side of two minutes. Jim Stacy is the author of 11 books, including his first title, Jesus Was Not a Christian, Healing the Shame and Fear from Man-Made Theology. That book is available on Amazon. The other 10 books, which are titled A Healing Spiritual Journey, are available as downloads on thedivineiswithinus.com. When you visit that site, you may also download his CDs and articles, and you can also find out more about where Jim will be speaking, spiritual retreats, and vision quests. Visit www.thedivineiswithinus.com today. Jim Stacy's first book, Liberating Jesus from Christianity, Healing from the Fear and Shame of Religious Dogma, is available on Amazon.com. Discover what the church has been hiding for over 1,700 years. Find out why people carry the wounds of guilt and shame instead of the power of loving and being loved. Discover that you are a part of the divine. Learn about the kingdom of heaven within you and find out why history has been twisted by those who slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent people. See why the real Jesus never said the word hell or sin liberating jesus from christianity available right now on amazon.com you are listening to beyond religion your life is waiting if you have a question or comment about our program 
please send an email to the divine is within us at gmail.com. Again, that's the divine is within us at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Here again is Jim Stacy. So, Neil, I, again, appreciate so much uh, my connection with you. It's changed my life because of applying the Aramaic in my heart. I had had it with the religion that I was, you know, grew, grew up in and, the, you know, the fundamentalist Christianity where everything was stuffed in the head. And I learned very quickly that if I'm going to experience a relationship with the divine or the kingdom, queendom of heaven within, that I needed to obey or apply. And so that was my choice. And I remember, and I'd like to ask you, say you more, have you say mm-hmm. more about the sound, but in the several years that I attended your weekends in, in Ohio, dancing in the circles with the Aramaic people, Sufis, the, those involved in, in your group, mm-hmm. it was so powerful to feel that, that energy. Talk to me more about that. Well, you know, it's it really begins with simple things. I mean, uh, the simplest way to put it is that when we when we actually begin to center our body awareness in the heart, for instance, you know, you're listening to me now, or your listeners are listening to me. Just place one hand simply over your heart, lightly over your heart. Breathe. Feel that your breath is is centered there. This is a an a huge shift from breathing primarily in the head, which is mostly what we do, and what actually what we need to do in modern culture, because it's a very visually demanding culture. We're looking at our mobile phones, we're driving, you know, it's all sort of head-centered. Right. But as soon as we begin to center in the heart, this, this, is a, this is a radical shift of the way we live our lives, the way we literally see our lives. So the, what the Sufis teach, what Jesus taught, Uh, What all the Middle Eastern mystics taught and continue to teach, if you can find a Middle Eastern mystic today, is to see, to feel through the heart. This is not just poetry. This is actually a matter of breathing, centering the breathing more lower, and actually bringing feeling rather than thought as the first thing with which we meet each situation. Hmm. How do I feel about it? Not what do I think about it, what's my considerations, but how do I actually feel about it? Wow keeps telling me more. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is what this sort of chanting does encourage. I mean, all practice is practice. We're practicing for real life. Uh, The chanting that Samuel Lewis introduced with Dances of Universal Peace is a type of simple heart-centered chant. We're chanting, you could say mantras, as it's called in the East, sacred words from different traditions. And both the sounds of the words themselves and what they connect us to, that to which they connect us, is what does the the connection. Now, the second part is equally important in that when I'm chanting words of Jesus or when you're chanting them, yes, the sounds do have some effect in in us, the ahs or the oohs or the oohs, but also because we're chanting words that Jesus chanted, as close as possible as from what we know that he did chant or say, we're connecting directly to his Shem, his essence, right. his, you could say, his atmosphere is, is the word Shem in Hebrew Aramaic. Right. So he, he's around. He's, so to speak, he's available, so to speak. Um, not necessarily how we may have read about him, but his essence, his vapor trail in the spiritual realm is still there, as many people will testify, whether they've studied Aramaic or not. So, right. um, 
these are the two most important points and, and why it's, it's worthwhile even, say, simply learning the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, just to chant it, to pray it, just to say it, right. uh, which is worth doing. You know, I've had an experience with this has happened many times, but I was in California last year and, and uh, at a conference at Joshua Tree, and I was standing around talking to various people, and one of the people that was a vendor there, uh, a Hebrew lady who I connected with her and some other people, and she, somebody told her that I had been studying the Aramaic, and she asked me about that because, you know, the Hebrew and the Aramaic mm-hmm. is very close. And she said, would you say the Aramaic Lord's Prayer for me? And so I did. I stood there and I said it in Aramaic from front to, to beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looked down, and she had, when I finished, and she had tears running down her face. Mm. She felt it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying here. We can feel it. Yes. And and by feeling, we know more. Yes, so, that's right. Yeah. And you don't have to worry so much, uh, you know, about getting exactly the right pronunciation. This uh, is what I, I try like to yes. encourage people. You know, you can go on my website. There's a, there's a pre-page. You just go in, link to it. I'll say a line. You say it back to you. Mm-hmm. Easy. You know, but, but whether you say it exactly that way or not doesn't make so much a difference because we're close enough to the words Jesus would have said, mm. the words that he had to have said, if yeah. you believe that he said it, and I do believe it. Yeah. Um, it's the intention that's important It's here. the intention, and the rest tunes itself in, so yes. to speak. It's, it's like you get close enough, and it just locks in. You, you tune into that channel, and there you are. Yes. That's, that's it. That's the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> I, I hope to all you listeners, I'm just hoping that you are greatly encouraged by what you've just heard. My challenge, as well as all of ours, as Neil mentioned a few minutes ago, is to get out of our heads and into mm-hmm. our hearts. Mm-hmm. So, Well, you know, the, also the name of your show is, you know, something has to do with beyond religion. And, yes. and, and that's very true. I mean, we know that religion today, all organized religions, uh, if you study enough about them and know what's going on in the world, they all have their extremely problematic sides. Yes. Um, organized religion does. It uh, doesn't matter where you look. You can look in the U.S. You can look in the Middle East. You can look in Asia. It doesn't yeah. matter which religion you look at, Buddhism, Hinduism. If you look around the world, there will be negative sides of each of these religions in various countries yes. where they are fomenting violence or racism, or you know, anti, you know, uh, things anti-women in India. Yes. Uh, all of this is going on. The U.S. I don't even have to mention. That's right. So, uh, religion being misused. So it's easy to say, throw the baby out with the bathwater, get rid of it all. We'll just go secular. But right. there is something, as my friend Rabbi Arthur says, Rabbi Arthur Wasco. You know, when we connect to the old stories and purify them, clean them. Uh, clean them off. There is deep wisdom there, and we connect to the ancestors in a way, connect to the earth in a way that yes. we couldn't if we just say, "Well, we're going to reinvent everything new tomorrow." Exactly. exactly. So, I mean, that's that's where I stand on that bit. But I understand that it's it, you know, religion itself is problematic, or organized religion can be problematic. So, yes. organized religion that is based upon dogma and ritual and and rules. Correct. That that's what causes the problem. Yep. In the midst of all those rules and going beyond those rules, how has the Aramaic changed your life personally? If you could share just a bit of that. Oh, gosh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> or a whole bunch, whatever. <laughs> it's changed it a whole bunch. It's terrible to say, actually. No, it's wonderful and terrible. Because each time, 
you say, I translated a new piece of the Aramaic. Yes. And I went through this very slowly. I had to feel into it myself in order to do the type of translation I was doing. As I sometimes say, it wasn't just a head thing, even after I learned Aramaic. It was that I, I understood that to do the translation and to convey something with it, I had to actually feel into it, chant it, breathe with it, pray with it, understand it from the inside out. More, you could say, I don't want, sort of from, from Yeshua, from Jesus' point of view. And this changed me because I wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to dive deeply into the Beatitudes. And you could say the shadow side that, that the Beatitudes bring out. When you talk about mourning and grieving and being lost and be confused, uh, as Matthew's Beatitudes talk, or even in Luke's Beatitudes, you're talking about feeling poor or less than, or all these things that Jesus sort of brings into, you know, invites to the table, invites to the table of holy wisdom. Right. I had to try to do all. I had to, you know, really enter this sincerely, honestly. And that, you know, changed me profoundly. I, I often wasn't ready for it. Um, and so it's, you know, took over. <laughs> it's still going on. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And, and that's the beauty of, of this for, because I know that there's so much that I have to, to learn yet, so much that I have to embody and, and practice from the heart. And that's a challenge and an adventure that is absolutely beautiful, would you say? I would say so. You know, what I liken it now to is if you go, and this is where I find the the United States wonderful, the national parks, you know, you go out to one of the national parks like Yellowstone or or anything. My wife and I love Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We come all the way from Scotland just to visit Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is wild, wild nature. Yes. First time, you're overwhelmed. Second time, it's like, oh, yeah, it's still overwhelming. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It's wild. But you're starting to get the feel of it. Um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, your way around everywhere, but it's, it starts to become, you know, more like a, like a home wildness. And that's what the inner self is like, too. Uh-huh. You start to have a, more of a familiarity with things, even though you're off the beaten path, so to speak. Uh, and all of us are off the beaten path with our own, you could say, our shadow sides or the inner self. So, but but you become a bit more comfortable with finding your way even when you're lost. Yes. That's that's the best way I would put it. I like that. Yeah. So when we own our wildness and say, yes, that's true, what is the effect that that can have? Gosh, life becomes, you know, really an adventure. Um, instead of becoming a sense of restriction or aggravation or just going through the motions, going through the, uh, how would we say, some sort of routine in life, uh, life opens up on the inside. Mm. And this is really where it's intended to open up. See, this is what Yeshua taught. There's an unlimited wilderness of adventure, of inspiration, of creativity within us. If we always try to create all of that outside of us first, we're going at it in the wrong way. There's much more that the soul will ever experience than we'll be able to create in our outer life. So we're able to accept some sense of routine, of regularity, of rhythm in our outer life. We have to go to a job. We have to do some work. Yes, that's true. So we accept that, but the inner life opens way, way up. And we're not always trying to create and gather and buy more, 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 more on the outside. It balances out in a better way. And there's also a lot more creativity to bring into our outer life and and change our outer life for the better. Yes. I love what you're saying because this element of the the breathing 
And we're going to have to take a break in about 20 seconds or so, mm-hmm. but uh, I want to come back on the next segment. We're talking about the sacred breath, the holy breath, or the Ruka de Kudsha, I believe it is, in, in the Aramaic, and uh, talk more about how the breath connects with all this uh, embracing and of wildness and, and the shadow and, and growing beyond. So right now it's time break. for another break. So we will be right back with you in a couple of minutes. Jim Stacy is the author of 11 books, including his first title, Jesus Was Not a Christian, Healing the Shame and Fear from Man-Made Theology. That book is available on Amazon. The other 10 books, which are titled A Healing Spiritual Journey, are available as downloads on thedivineiswithinus.com. When you visit that site, you may also download his CDs and articles, and you can also find out more about where Jim will be speaking, spiritual retreats, and vision quests. Visit www.thedivineiswithinus.com today. Jim Stacy's first book, Liberating Jesus from Christianity, Healing from the Fear and Shame of Religious Dogma, is available on Amazon.com. Discover what the church has been hiding for over 1,700 years. Find out why people carry the wounds of guilt and shame instead of the power of loving and being loved. Discover that you are a part of the divine. Learn about the kingdom of heaven within you and find out why history has been twisted by those who slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent people. See why the real Jesus never said the words hell or sin. Liberating Jesus from Christianity. Available right now on Amazon.com. You are listening to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to the divine is within us at gmail.com. Again, that's the divine is within us at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Here again is Jim Stacy. Well, I am absolutely delighted today to have Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz on the show. Uh, Neil, I want to have a few more questions for you, but I want later in the show for you to tell everybody about all the books you have written, the ones that are are forming within you, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and all of this information. But the thought that I shared as we closed the last segment was breathing, the the power of the breath. Talk to us more about what you've learned about that. You know, that really is the thing that unites all, you know, the traditions of humanity, if I can put it that way. Um, we all breathe, <laughs> usually. <Yes. laughs> uh, Hopefully. Mostly, mostly we do. And so it's no surprise that in all spiritual traditions around the world, the breath and the awareness of the breath is extremely, extremely important. Uh, some of your readers know about prana in the Hindu traditions, Hindu-Buddhist traditions. Uh, actually, we could translate Qi in the Chinese tradition, not only as energy, but also as breath, uh, from what my, my Taoist friends tell me. Same thing in the Middle Eastern, the ancient Semitic traditions, if we can call them the, the prophetic or the biblical traditions. Uh, the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same word. Yes. There is only one word, I'll repeat that for your listeners, that means breath and that means spirit. And so what this means is that my breath is always spiritual. That's one way to look at it. You could say my breath or our breath is always part of Holy Spirit or Holy Breath. We are never separate from that. We do forget, but we are never actually separate. Yes. So as we begin to become more aware of breathing, um, 
you know, that itself is a spiritual practice. Uh, and I, as I mentioned earlier, breathing in the heart or lowering the center of the breath from the head into the heart, relaxing, yes. taking a sigh, sighing into the heart. Uh, this immediately, th- this already is the start of a practice. Uh, many people are into mindfulness practice now. Well, Jesus, Yeshua practiced a form of, uh, he w- I don't think he would call it mindfulness because they don't really have a good word for mind in Aramaic. He would call it heartfulness, right. which is t- tends to be what I call what I, what I lead. Sure. Uh, you know, as, as just speaking, you know, as you know, the, the Semitic peoples, they didn't think much of the mind or the brain either. The Egyptians and Egyptians threw away the brain when they were embalming uh, royal corpses. They kept the heart, they threw the brain away. They thought, oh, well, you know, what's this for? So <laughs> the heart was the main thing. They, somehow people understood this. And now we know even some of the heart math people are saying, uh, you know, that the heart generates a much, much stronger magnetic field than the brain uh, or any part of the nervous system. So uh, science is gradually coming around to some of this now. Yes. So... Adding to this, Jesus' word for breath, rucha, you mentioned it before the break, rucha de kudsha is what he uses in the Gospels. The breath, which is considered to be kudsha, rucha is breath or spirit, kudsha means uh, that which is special or that which is sacred, or you could say that which clears space within us. All of those are meanings of the word for kudsha, which is usually translated as holy. Uh, How would we understand that? I think in this very simple way, as I begin to breathe, as I relax, as I close my eyes, as we breathe with one another here, even across, you know, the waves, you're in the U.S., I'm in sitting in Scotland, uh, we can feel a breath that is uniting us, you know, with, for instance, your listeners, even though they're listening to this at a different time. Well, what's time and space to the breath? Nothing. Yes, Absolutely exactly. nothing. Um, you know, we're breathing together at this very moment. And so it's not just us then us listening, but we could breathe with all human beings around the planet. We can breathe with all living beings around the planet, the animals, the plants, the nature. Um, further, further, further. How far does it go? Well, for Yeshua, it went as far as possible. All those breaths, those individual breaths, return to one breath. And this is what he called Ruchad Kutcha. All of our breath is united in the holy breath. My yes. breath. Your breath is always part of Holy Spirit, Holy Breath. And where does that go? Well, that goes back to the source, back to Allah. That's it. Okay. I would ask all of you who are listening right now, take time right now. Gently place that hand on your heart and open your awareness to the breath. Ask for insight, and I promise you, you will find it. Tell us, Neil, when you translated the first beatitude, what that has to do with the breath. Jesus' journey of the Beatitudes begins with breath, Jim, as you very well know. He says, Yes. Ripe, blessedly ripe, at the present time, at the present moment, like a plant ripening in its right time, are those who realize that breath is our first and last possession. This is what was translated in the King James Version, those who are poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. You can sort of maybe see in an, in an oblique way how they got that. Right. But you can say, ripe are those who realize that breath is our first possession as we come into form, as we squawk that first squawk when we're <laughs> born, 
yeah. as we make that birth cry. And when we leave these embodied forms, our breath is our last possession. Right. Once we realize that, life changes. And in the midst of all of that, we have the sacred breath that continues to enlighten us, to bring us together, and to help us understand more deeply who we are and what we're here for. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what Yeshua says in the second part of the Beatitude. He says, Dilhone Malkuta Dashmaya. When you realize this, then to you belongs the Malkuta. Yes. This I can, this reigning vision. Uh, it can be just a creative impulse for your life. It can be that moment of healing that you need. It can be the solution to the problem that has been bedeviling you, if you can excuse the expression. This Malkuta Deshmaya that Yeshua talks about, the reigning vision, the creative impulse of the cosmos, then has the space to come through us. That's what he was talking all over the Gospels about, uh, as, he, as it's translated as the kingdom. Yes. The Malkuta, the I can, the creative, the ruling vision. That's that's what he's on about. And he also talked a lot about entering that kingdom, queendom, the Malkuta. Yes. Talk yes. more about that, if you would. Well, he you know he uses parables, he uses stories to introduce it to his listeners. Um, it, it, I think I someone looked it up, uh, and I used their work. Uh, which words does Jesus use most often in the Gospels? Kingdom or Malkuta? Really, it should be translated queendom because it's a feminine gendered yes. word in Aramaic. I think it's the third most, third most <laughs> used word of Jesus in the four Gospels. Uh, so he's, he, it's, for him, this is really important. The creative impulse coming from the source, from Allah, from God, if you want to use the God word, uh, coming to, to us and through us, if we connect with that, then life will straighten itself out. That's what he says when he says in Matthew, seek first the Malkuta, seek first the queendom kingdom. When you, when you get to that place, when you make that connection, then your whole life straightens itself out. You know which way to go. Mm. He says, all these things will be added to you. Wow. That means all the rest of the things in life, what to do today, what to do tomorrow, you know, who am I going to meet and what am I going to do? And is this mine to do or is it not mine to do? All these things start to make sense. Um, you don't have to decide with your head. You decide from the heart, from the Malkuta that's coming through you in the moment. So in, in and through the breath and in and through the spiritual practices that Yeshua taught, entering this kingdom, queendom, realizing and experiencing that new energy within, all of these things are what creates that sacred space within, the ripeness to enter further into the mysteries of this, the, all the practices that he taught. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's beautifully said. The only thing I would add to that is that for those who have a heart connection to Yeshua, to Jesus, other people, some people have heart connections, I would call it that, to other prophets or saints, mm -hmm. living or in the other realm already who have gone yes. ahead of us as as the Aramaic prophets would say those who have traveled ahead of us they may have a better heart connection to someone else mm -hmm. you can make that heart connection wherever yes but those beings on the other side so to speak like Yeshua they're there to help us they have promised to help us some are more available than others but they they are there to help us to strengthen that connection Sometimes I say it's like going from, from the old dial-up modems, modems to broadband. If you uh, remember the dial-up modems, you'd go, <laughs> you know, you'd barely make an internet connection 20 right. years ago. Right. Well, now, you know, if you connect to Yeshua or one of the other, others that can help us, it's like going to broadband. You've got, you've got a clear connection 
Yes. You've got a reliable connection. Maybe sometimes it cuts out, but it's much more reliable. And it's there to boost our own connection to our intuition or high guidance. So that's the value of going, going this way. Yes. I love how you say, <clears throat> excuse me, to connect through or identify with other voices, other people, the prophets, whatever, that really all these paths lead back home. And what I like to say, based on what Yeshua taught about the, the divine within us or the, the light being the light of the world, what I've said so many times is we're all on the path back home, different paths, but someone's mm-hmm. left the light on for us, and mm-hmm. that light mm-hmm. is within. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was Meister Eckhart, I think, the great Christian mystic, who said it's uh, God, uh, God is at home, we're the ones that have gone out for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's with Matthew Fox's <laughs> translation, but I like that translation. I, so I do too. Yeah. So tell me, tell us more about. The, there's one thing that we have just two or three minutes left here, and then our final segment. But uh, when Yeshua talked about giving birth to a new self and calling forth light out of the shadow, mm-hmm. be bo- you must be born again. Takes on a whole different uh, concept, right? Yes, yes, I was working with that actually recently with a group in Switzerland. Um, John 3, if you want to look it up, he says, That means uh, literally uh, be born from the beginning, from the first beginning. Try to feel yourself back in the heart of the divine at the beginning of all things. It's almost Zen actually. So this is what was translated, be born again. Because it actually says, Mindaresh, from the first beginning. So he says to Nicodemus, if you do that, then you'll understand what I'm on about, what I'm talking about. If you don't, you'll never understand me. And the whole dialogue <laughs> proceeds from there. Right. So he's trying to introduce him to this simple practice of breath. Breathe, close your eyes, feel you're back in the heart of God at the beginning. That's the meditation. Yes. And you talk about that in one of your books, um, the Genesis Meditations. Genesis Meditations. Yeah, I'm working on a new version of that actually oh, now. So. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, we are all on a spiritual journey. We are here in physical form, but we are much more than physical. We must understand who it is that we are, the essence of who we are. And that's all that you're really talking about in in the Aramaic and it bringing us to the heart of the divine. These are just tools to do that. Yes. Yep. We're going to have to take time for another break right now, so we'll finish up with this in just a couple of minutes. We'll be right back with you. Jim Stacy is the author of 11 books, including his first title, Jesus Was Not a Christian, Healing the Shame and Fear from Man-Made Theology. That book is available on Amazon. The other 10 books, which are titled A Healing Spiritual Journey, are available as downloads on thedivineiswithinus.com. When you visit that site, you may also download his CDs and articles, and you can also find out more about where Jim will be speaking, spiritual retreats, and vision quests. Visit www.thedivineiswithinus.com today. Jim Stacy's first book, Liberating Jesus from Christianity, Healing from the Fear and Shame of Religious Dogma, is available on Amazon.com. Discover what the church has been hiding for over 1,700 years. Find out why people carry the wounds of guilt and shame instead of the power of loving and being loved. 
Discover that you are a part of the divine. Learn about the kingdom of heaven within you and find out why history has been twisted by those who slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent people. See why the real Jesus never said the words hell or sin. Liberating Jesus from Christianity. Available right now on Amazon.com. You are listening to Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to the divine is within us at gmail.com. Again, that's the divine is within us at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Here again is Jim Stacy. Well, to all of you who have been listening, uh, I am just again delighted to have Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz here on the show. And what we have just shared in the last hour, uh, we could go on for hours from here. So, but we can't today. So before we uh, say goodbye to everyone, uh, Neil, I'd like for you to share with everyone uh, your website, how they could might uh, get in touch with you, and then we want to talk about your books. Sure, absolutely. Uh, my website uh, is uh, the website of the Aboon Network, A-B-W-O-O-N. So if you Google Aboon, you'll get there, or it's www. Abun, A-B-W-O-O-N, either .org, O-R-G, or .com. Either one will take you there. And there are all sorts of podcasts up there, videos. Uh, there are whole courses to download if people want, many of them free. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a page where you can learn the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. You click on a button, and I'll say it line by line, and you can, you can hear it and, and do it with me. Wonderful. So all, all that's there. Yeah. Okay, so... You have a list of books <clears throat> that I am aware of and one new one that you just come out with and more that you're working on. So the first book that I ever knew that, uh, that came from you was called Desert Wisdom. Tell, yes. tell us just a bit about that and how you're redoing that. Well, Desert Wisdom came out in 1995, uh, shortly after Prayers of the Cosmos. It was and it, you say, looking at the whole Middle East from this same point of view. In other words, what I called a native Middle Eastern tradition. Many people talk about a Native American tradition or a native Aboriginal tradition, Native African tradition. And I wanted to look at the whole Middle Eastern, you could say, spirituality, not as individual religions, but as a, you could say, as a native tradition. And that's what Desert Wisdom did. Um, about, I went back and redid that book in 2010 and improved it massively, adding uh, many more translations from the Aramaic Jesus, including, uh, I think, they're, they're my best translations of the, the I Am sayings in John's Gospel and, and many other things. And I sort of situated all within the main themes that the Middle Eastern prophets, the prophetic tradition, is, is presenting. Again, this is sort of beyond or uh, on the other side of... Uh, rigid, organized religion as, as a way to sort of bring things together. Right. So people can find that book at my website. Uh, okay. I, I'm just coming out, I'll speak about the book that's just coming out in a couple of months, which okay. is, you'll like it because the, the title is called Illuminating the Shadow. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's actually a collection of writings from my Sufi teacher, my living Sufi teacher who passed away in 2001. His name was Moinadine, Murshid uh-huh. Moinadine Jablonski. Okay. And and it's all about illuminating the shadow and how he balanced out the spiritual life and the very human, you could say, uh, inner life in his uh, period of t- his time as the the director of our of our Sufi tariqa, our Sufi order. Okay. And it's I think it's quite inspiring. No matter which religion you're part of, our our brand of the Sufis, if you will, is more universal. Uh, we feel that that's true to the message 
that comes through the all the original prophets, and uh, even as the Quran itself says, all people at all times have had prophets, saints, and messengers. We make no distinction amongst them. Right. So that book is coming out in uh, in about a month or two. Okay. Uh, last year, I came out with this book that um, people, some people thought was curious for me, so I kept it top secret for a while. <laughs> I, I had been doing a lot of research on what the actual situation of Jesus' times were. Right. What was the culture? What was the politics? What was life like on the ground for the, you could say, the underclass, for the peasants, not just for the upper class? Um, and I, the more and more I found about this, uh, that this story had not really been properly told, except in very, very scholarly books. And the ones that had come out in more popular literature, which were published by big publishers, was not accurate, I felt. Okay. Um, I won't go into the reasons for some of that. But, uh, and so I decided to put a lot of this research into a novel. And the sorts of novels I love reading are sort of classical Agatha Christie sort of murder mystery novels. Not a lot of blood and guts, but just where there's a mystery involved. Right. So I wrote a, a murder mystery uh, set in the first century, um, you know, uh, with uh, some of the usual characters involved and some characters that are clearly fictional. Uh, and that book came out last June, and it's called A Murder at Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon meaning this uh, this actual actual place, which is in northern uh, northern Israel, nor, actually northern Samaria, right. uh, and so, some of the a lot of the action takes place there. So, okay. so that book, um, uh, and for my my usual readers, the book has a lot of spiritual practices sort of laced in it, uh, along with a, I think a fairly decent plot and and a, okay. a very reasonable description of Jesus's times, lifetimes, uh, ecology, the politics at the time, what it was really like to be then. Right. So what would be like to walk in that same day, perhaps with exactly. Him? There's a lot of sort of I, I walked that area many times, so there's a lot of like what it would be like to walk through the area, and you know what was actually going on. And what I found was 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 a lot less tame than what the what a lot of people present. There are yeah. great empires warring at the time. There are underground movements. There are spies. Uh, there's political intrigues. Uh, there's religion being used for politics. All the things we see around us today. Those same sorts of things are going on in first century in the right. Holy Land. So. Right. So, just to review quickly, I highly recommend every one of Neil's books. I have The Murder at Armageddon. haven't read it yet. But the new version of Desert Wisdom, I'm definitely going to get. And The Illuminating the Shadow. Is that right? Illuminating the Shadow. That will be the name when it's called, it comes out. It's not out yet. Right. And I am working on some other Aramaic Jesus books, probably okay. more similar to what I've done, but I'm, I'm waiting a bit. Right. I did do this Sounds True series. Some of you know you can download it on the I Am Sayings and on the whole story in John's Gospel, and that is gradually becoming a book itself. So. so in addition to all of these, I highly recommend Prayers of the Cosmos. That has a new cover on it, but it's the same content, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well. I won't talk about the cover, but I like the old cover. Okay, <laughs> okay. The old cover, but anyway. Okay. And then a book that was very powerful in helping me understand many, many details of the Aramaic was Hidden Gospel. Yes. That's still a classic. I love it. Uh, tell us, we had about two or three minutes left, uh, just to briefly about what you want people to hear from that. Uh, you know, Hidden Gospel was an attempt to make life easier for myself. And that <laughs> when I wrote, seriously, when I wrote Prayers of the Cosmos and then Desert Wisdom, people began to write me 
letters, you know, dear Dr. Douglas Klotz, wouldn't you please translate this for me? And, uh-huh. you know, what does this mean? And then what does that mean? You know, it's like, oh my God, do I really want to do this? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll take, you know, the, the main words and concepts that Jesus uses. I'll, tra- I'll do a chapter on each of these, and then I'll put a glossary in the back where you can backward translate the King James words like kingdom or, you know, spirit, sure. and look, see what the Aramaic word is and what the multiple meanings are. So that became Hidden Gospel. It has, I would say, the 12 major themes in Jesus' teaching. Um, and again, each chapter is laced with some simple body prayers or spiritual practices so that it is an experience for people. Well, Neil, we have about a minute and a half left. Uh, what thought would, or what are, thought or two would you like to leave the audience with today? What I would like to leave people with today is just a sense that take some time, slow down, breathe in the heart, um, breathe positively, uh, not just for yourself, because there's so much, so many negative reports in the press. And it, you could say, having been a member of the journalistic fraternity, that actually is the that 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 was always the way to sell things is through fear. Right. Breathe with hope. Breathe with a sense of positivity in the heart. Spread that to the person next to you. If you've got a little more, send it a little bit further. This makes a huge difference around the planet. Um, Hope is very, very important. Uh, And a sense of heart feeling. So you're developing your practice not just for yourself but for, for those around you. And as I've said many times and what I've written and on the, these shows is we, we must understand what our own personal responsibility is to grow, to awaken, and to be. But we also have to go beyond the me to the we. Yes. That, that is essential. Absolutely. Okay. Any other thought in about 30 seconds? Um, <laughs> keep breathing. Keep breathing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I love it because if I can say well, so many things, but anything to you, the audience today, is Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz is right on. There has never been a spiritual teacher that I have resonated with so deeply. What he has said, what he has written is absolutely true. And in whatever way you would find to practice it, in whatever way you want to breathe, to connect with the divine, to experience that sacred breath, and then change, own the shadow, walk in that beauty of of owning who we are and transforming who we are, we become new people, and we can pass that on, as Neil was saying. So, Neil, thank you again for Thanks, Jim. You're doing great work. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate it so much and wish you the best in all of your international work. And uh, so thank you again with all my heart for being with us today. You're very welcome. Happy any time. Okay. And to all of you listeners, we will be with you next time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the program today. Please join Jim Stacy for another edition of Beyond Religion, Your Life is Waiting, next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This week, let the divine work for you and with you. You're bound to experience a new life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.